Welcome to Coronapocalypse 2020, your audio acuity for the viral age. It's Friday, March 20th, and I'm your host, Simon, bringing you the latest in coronavirus info. In today's episode, number three, finally, I'll be talking about how contagious and dangerous COVID-19 is, what you can do to avoid catching it, what to do if you still end up getting sick, and why you might not have to worry about it. Also, I'll be covering the start of vaccine testing and even potential cures, or at least ones under consideration, plus their downsides. And with the economy and jobs going into a full-on tailspin by the coronavirus, there's major stimulus legislation being pushed by the Trump administration. If you've been impacted by the virus, and at this point, let's face it, who hasn't? I'll be discussing what you can expect as benefits to help you through this time. There have now been over 250,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide. Stick around while I drop some knowledge. One of the first questions that most people have when they hear about the coronavirus is just how dangerous is this thing? It's from the same family of viruses that the original SARS, the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, and MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, a naming system that's not used any longer, both were fairly deadly. COVID-19 is different. For most people, up to 80%, it will not have serious symptoms. In fact, Some people may be walking around with it right now and not even realize that they are sick. This is what actually makes it extremely dangerous because for the population that it is deadly for, particularly the elderly, those that have immune systems that are compromised, anyone who's going through chemotherapy, for instance, or have other underlying health conditions, this can be very, very dangerous. For most people, it what might pass for a cold, which is what the coronavirus family includes. But for potentially 20% of people, they might require hospitalization. And if it gets into the lungs, it can become a pneumonia. Thus, it makes sense to just avoid catching it altogether. Already, their terminology, social distancing, has taken hold. And it basically means Don't get around people that might be contagious, but also if you are infected and just don't know it, don't go places that you might pass it on. Effectively, stay home. And that's what's happened in a number of other countries, particularly China locking down its entire population areas that have any amount of this infection, but it's now starting to happen in the United States as well. The idea is pretty simple. The less opportunity people have to interact with each other, the less likelihood it is that they can pass the virus directly from one to another. But there is a secondary way of becoming infected, which is through indirect exposure from the environment, from picking it up from surfaces or from the air itself. One study looked at the longevity of the virus in different environments and found that on hard surfaces like steel or hard plastic, it could survive three days. And 
just in the air, it was potential for three hours. Now, granted, it's unlikely that it'll be floating around in it for that period of time, but the notion being is that for a short duration, if somebody were occupying a small area that you pass through, you could also pick it up. And for this reason, it's why practicing good hygiene, washing your hands as recommended 20, at least 20 seconds, is a good idea. But I'm going to break with the common wisdom here of not wearing a mask. It's an unfortunate mixed message that the medical community in the United States has been sending out that masks are not effective at preventing the virus from spreading. And that's entirely untrue. The truth is that in places where wearing a mask is socially acceptable, Japan, for example, they see a much lower incidence of transmission of the virus. In fact, this has been puzzling people, but it shouldn't be. Japan currently has a very low rate of transmission. For one obvious reason, that a mask acts as a deterrent from touching your face, the second part of that hygiene recommendation. The common surgical-type masks are not effective from blocking air from being able to get to your nose and mouth, but they are effective if you breathe out or if you cough or you sneeze. That is not going to get into the air. It's blocked. The more effective are what are known as the N95 particulate respirators. Those are the close-fitting masks that cover the nose and mouth entirely. Now, those were in short supply, and that's why the medical community was trying to get people not to buy them because they needed them. They do work, however. They will prevent both transmission from a wearer and also from the environment externally. Granted, wearing an N95 respirator-type mask is going to be overkill for the most part. A surgical-type multifold cloth mask, as popular in Asia, is effective when used properly. Take the example of Hong Kong, which has been practicing a number of means of containment. With a population of 7.4 million, they have only 256 cases confirmed with mass testing. A recent Time Magazine article on mask wearing in Asia pointed out this dichotomy. In Hong Kong, where wearing a mask is the norm, people will go out of their way to avoid those who don't have one on, whereas the opposite is true in the United States. Having a mask on is a stigma. It is visible and it points you out. And so there's a social pressure not to have one. And that really should be a social change that's promoted in the United States. You look at the example of New York City with about a million people more than Hong Kong. With ramped up testing, they now show over 4,000 cases in the city compared to 256 in Hong Kong. Well, I hope you stuck around for that three-minute diversion into talking about masks. I Probably should have mentioned that as a fan of cosplay superheroes, I'm totally chill with people walking around in masks. But now on to talking about the latest research being done into vaccines and potential drug therapies. Starting this Monday, the National Institute of Health began a vaccine study provided by the biotech company Moderna of a new potential candidate as a vaccine. Initially, it'll be a group of 45 people who will receive this vaccine and then be tracked over a year. So that means that we won't know ultimately whether this is an effective vaccine for quite a while. 
There are, of course, multiple competing studies going on, one in the UK at Oxford University, along with two in Germany. BioNTech with Pfizer are going to be developing one, and CureVac, which was in the news recently when the Trump administration apparently tried to convince them to come to the United States, are also developing a vaccine. But none of these are going to be available particularly quickly. In the alternative are some drug therapies that have been mentioned by no less than Elon Musk and Donald Trump. Uh, These are two anti-malarial drugs that are related. Chloroquine, which has the brand name Arlen, and hydroxychloroquine, which is Plaquenil, both of which are being studied for their possible efficacy against COVID-19. Chloroquine has been known to have antiviral properties going back uh, quite a while, and in fact had been researched for the original SARS about uh, 15 years ago. So it's natural that it's been brought back up to investigate its possibility of being a therapy for patients that are suffering from uh, respiratory issues due to COVID-19. However, it's not a very recommended drug for those that aren't already needing it. Uh, It has some possible side effects that make it a little bit worse than perhaps the disease, including irreversible damage to the retina, deafness, tintinitis, reduced hearing, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and those are just the listings of the potential common side effects. And then there's the anecdotal evidence of the dangers About four decades ago in Tulsa, a two-year-old girl found a pill of chloroquine in a drawer and ingested it and unfortunately passed away. So it does have some potential for helping people with coronavirus, but it also may have its own dangers. So don't expect that that's going to be something that's going to be recommended anytime soon. Lies are commonplace. Facts are misconstrued. Blame is thrown around, living in this. Dissent is demonized, protesting emphasized. Outrage denied, living in this. In the US, there are now over 14,000 coronavirus cases including two members of Congress, Representative Mario Diaz-Balart, Republican from Florida, and Ben McAdams, Democrat from Utah. As the virus has been confirmed to be spreading across the U.S., many areas have taken drastic measures to slow its pace. On Monday, the 8 million people living in the San Francisco Bay Area counties were directed to shelter in place for three weeks until April 7th. The director of San Francisco's Department of Public Health, Dr. Grant Colfax, explained what that meant. To review, all San Franciscans must stay home as much as possible and only leave for essential activities like getting food and medicine. Following that yesterday, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, put the shelter-in-place order into effect for all 40 million Californians. He announced it this way. A state as large as ours, a nation state, uh, is many parts, but at the end of the day, we're one body. There's a mutuality and there's a recognition of our interdependence that requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for people to stay at home. That directive goes into force and effect this evening. 
California is the first state to follow this European model of trying to combat the virus, but it's obviously not going to be the last. But what makes this exceptional is that California is the largest economy in the United States at over $3 trillion gross state product. If it were its own nation, it would just be behind Germany as the fifth largest economy in the world. So we're talking about a major portion of the U.S. is going to be shut down for at least three weeks. What that means in terms of the whole economy remains to be seen. But as we're seeing already in Tulsa, there are mass layoffs going on because employers can't keep people on staff if they're not going to be working. The clearest example of this is the homegrown McNelly's group of restaurants, of which there are 20 locations across two states and three cities. They have 800 employees and are now down to a skeleton crew of about 130. The rest of them are, have been furloughed home. And this is going on, I imagine, across the U.S. On Wednesday, the Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin threatened that if Congress did not pass a stimulus package to be able to allow small businesses to keep their employees, that we would have potentially 20% unemployment. So this is obviously a scary time, not only for the health concerns that the virus poses, but also for the economic uncertainty that all of these shutdowns that have gone into place in order to contain the virus are leading to with people being stuck at home and unsure about what their futures might hold. So the question is, how long can people handle that? And there is some data that shows that while a large portion of Americans will have savings enough to cover themselves for an extended period. There are a substantial number of Americans that do not. Every year, the Federal Reserve puts out a report on the economic well-being of U.S. households. And in the latest one, they have as one of their standard survey questions of what would Americans do when faced with a hypothetical expense of $400 how would they pay for it? In this report, 61% of adults in 2018 said that they could cover it using cash or savings or a credit card that could be paid off by the next statement. But, and this was sort of hidden in the survey, 12% of adults would not be able to pay for the expense by any means, including borrowing it. So that brings to mind just how potentially dangerous an economic downturn can be for many Americans, and that's what we're facing right now. The administration has been pushing a number of economic stimulus, and we're coming up to a third round. The first stimulus phase was titled the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriation, which was actually passed on March the 6th. And it provided 
$8.3 billion in emergency funding for federal agencies to respond to the outbreak. The second phase, called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, was just signed two days ago. And it was intended to provide various emergency funding, such as paid sick leave, coronavirus testing, expanding food assistance and unemployment benefits, and requiring employers to provide additional protection for healthcare workers. This is estimated to have a cost of about $100 billion. We're coming up to a phase three, which according to the proposal being promoted by the Treasury Department, would run about a trillion dollars. And according to this proposal, again, it would include $500 billion in direct payments to citizens, uh, one in April, one in May, then $300 billion to go to small business loans, $50 billion bailout of airlines, and $150 billion to go to other industries, including hotels, casinos, cruise lines, shopping malls. The question, of course, on everyone's mind is, how do we pay for all of that? And that was asked of Steve Mnuchin, whether we should worry about deficits. This was his response. I think Congress right now should be concerned about the American workers and small business. You know interest rates are incredibly low. So there's very little cost of borrowing this money. And uh, as I've said, in different times, we'll fix the deficit. This is not the time to worry about it. This is the time that hardworking Americans are impacted by government decisions. That's when the government has to step up to put money into the economy. So I guess if he's taking the attitude, what me worry, then I guess we don't have anything to worry about in terms of a trillion dollars added to the deficit. I mean, it's not like it's real money anymore, is it? Everything I saw, all the progress made, on the verge of collapse, living in... Hey, that's my show for Friday. I appreciate you listening along. If you made it this far, please drop me a message anchor.fm slash COVID-19 slash message. Who knows, I may use it in an upcoming episode. And as always, if you have to go out, make sure to wash your hands for 20 seconds after touching anything except for your face or wear a mask. They're not that bad.